The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoar, Wisconsin. It was preached on Easter Sunday, April 12, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Catastrophes have a way of clarifying things. As much as catastrophes sometimes destroy the things that we have built, catastrophes can also reveal the true character of the things we've built. I mean, think about it. Picture a river that flows right through the heart of a big city, a river that is, is kept in control by a series of dams and levees. It's not until that river floods that the true strength of all of that concrete is revealed. Or picture a home that is kept safe by a smoke detector and a sprinkler system. It's not until a fire actually starts that the reliability of those devices is put on display. Or picture an earthquake. In fact, an earthquake might be the most clarifying of catastrophes. You see, when it comes to the things that we build in our lives, it's not just that outward visible structure. It's not just even that foundation on which the structure rests, but it's the ground on which the foundation rests. If, if that gets shaken, if that trembles, then it can really clarify just how strong something is. I wouldn't be the first person to suggest that this current time of catastrophe that we find ourselves in is also a wonderful time for clarification. In fact, if I had to compare our current circumstances to a catastrophe, I I might just compare it to an earthquake. It's not just that outward visible structure that's being shaken. It's not even just the foundation. It sort of feels as though the very ground on which that foundation rests is also being shaken. It's our entire economic system, our entire healthcare system. It's the supply chains and the stock market. It's local and national levels of government. All of them are being shaken by this tiny, invisible virus. As a result, we might be tempted to think that a, a time of catastrophe is a very difficult time to find something that we all really need, something that is truly a, a precious commodity as we go through life, namely to find hope. Hope is that stubborn conviction that things are going to turn out, that no matter what, things are going to be okay. And as long as a person has hope in their life, they can get through just about anything. But you need a reason for hope. You need a a basis for your hope. And we might be tempted to think that a time like this, a time of catastrophe, makes it really difficult for us to find any hope. Well, believe it or not, the opposite is actually true. Why is that? Well, because catastrophes have a way of clarifying things. You see, this day that that we have gathered here to celebrate today, this day called Easter, it's not just some smiley, bright, happy, sunshiny day that Christians put on the calendar each and every year. No, it's a day that is very much connected to and follows right on the heels of a day of complete catastrophe. In fact, the reason that this day called Easter is full of so much joy and hope is not in spite of that catastrophe, but actually because of that catastrophe. Easter is the ultimate proof that if and when that earthquake comes in our lives, if our lives are shaken, not just at the top of the the visible structure, not just at their foundations, but if even the ground on which those foundations rest is shaken, then whatever is left standing when that earthquake is over 
that is truly indestructible. That is strong enough to serve as the basis for our hope. And so as we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 28 this morning, as we look at the events of Easter, we're going to see that if you are looking for hope, it's really as simple as this. Simply hold on to whatever is still standing after everything else falls. In the early hours of that first Easter Sunday morning, there was a group of men who I'm guessing were sound asleep. In fact, I'm guessing they were sound asleep because they were fully convinced that what they had done, what they had built, you might say, was completely secure. You see, this man named Jesus of Nazareth, he posed an existential threat to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. But two days prior to this, they had taken that existential threat and they had squashed him like a bug. With the help of the Roman government, they had put him to death on a cross. And as if a a lifeless body wasn't already harmless enough, they they went back to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, to ask him for one more favor. In addition to that giant heavy stone that would have been placed in front of Jesus' tomb, they also put there a Roman seal at the entrance of the tomb and posted a couple Roman guards just to keep watch. We might picture a thick, steel-plated vault at Fort Knox, one whose door is operated by a retinal scan system with a couple of, of Navy steels standing outside the door just for good measure. They were fully convinced that what they had done, that what they had built was absolutely secure. But then the ground beneath their feet started to shake. In fact, Matthew tells us this. He says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. So there was this violent earthquake. And then, in a statement that is absolutely dripping with irony, Matthew tells us that these big, strong soldiers turned into corpses. That as the ground started to shake, they also shook and they became just like that dead man they were supposed to be guarding in the tomb. The Jewish leaders thought that what they had done was absolutely safe, absolutely secure, but the events of Easter Sunday morning revealed it to be completely fragile. Catastrophes have a way of doing that. In fact, it it kind of reminds me of something interesting that I read recently, something about the World's Fair that was held back in 1893. On the south side of Chicago, in a place called Jackson Park, right on the shores of Lake Michigan, this beautiful, magnificent exposition was built. Giant, beautiful buildings full of of captivating exhibits with immaculate landscaping all overlooking the beautiful, serene waters of the lake. Well, what I found so interesting was that out of the thousands of workers who were there to help build that exposition, there was one completely unknown, completely obscure carpenter and furniture maker. Someone who who later on would go on to tell his young son about this magnificent, magical realm he had been a part of. That carpenter's name was Elias Disney, and his son's name was Walt Walt listened very carefully to his father's story, and as you well know, Walt grew up to want to build a very magical realm, a magic kingdom of his own. Not only did he build a a magic kingdom, he built what sure seemed like an indestructible empire. 
theme parks and cruise lines, movie studios and television networks. If ever a company seemed indestructible, it seemed like the company that bears Walt Disney's name. Until that tiny, pesky, invisible virus came along. And now the the theme parks and the cruise lines, they're all shut down. And the movie studios that could crank out hit after hit after hit, well, there's, there's no one that can go to the theaters to watch those movies. And as for the television networks, networks like ESPN that has had the market on sports cornered for a couple of decades now, well, I'll just say this. It has not gone unnoticed in my house that suddenly dad is watching all of these strange new channels on TV that no one ever knew existed before because ESPN doesn't really have a lot to talk about. Of course, I'm guessing that the Disney Corporation will be just fine, but it does go to show that catastrophes can take things that sure seem secure and indestructible and reveal them to be completely fragile. And that brings me to the more important question for us to consider this morning. What about you? What have you been building? What have you been standing on under the assumption that it is completely safe and, sup- and completely secure? What have you been holding on to as your source of hope? Was it your job or your income? Was it your retirement savings? Was it the fact that you live in the most prosperous and powerful country in the history of the world with the most impressive economy, impressive hospitals, and impressive educational systems that have ever been created on planet Earth? Was it your own health? Was it the loved ones that you have surrounded yourself with in your life? Whatever it might be, I'm guessing that the last few weeks have shaken it quite a bit. In fact, maybe the last few weeks have caused some aspect of that life that you have built to completely crumble. And that doesn't mean that this catastrophe has suddenly revealed that all of those areas of your life are somehow bad or evil. It does mean that this catastrophe has revealed that those areas of our lives are much more fragile than we thought they were. It does reveal that they are unable to serve as the basis for our hope, that they are not strong enough for us to hold on to for hope and stand on for hope. So if they aren't, what is? Well, in those early hours of that first Easter Sunday morning, there was another group of people who were not at all sound asleep. In fact, I I would wonder if they slept at all that night. Two days prior, their entire world had been shaken and had come crashing down. Yes, on that Friday afternoon, the ground beneath their feet had shaken, but there had been another earthquake of sorts. Jesus had died. Death is is sort of like the ultimate earthquake, right? I mean, if we would think of our lives as a building, then maybe that outward visible structure would consist of the things that we have and the things that we've accomplished in our life because of what we're able to do. And maybe the foundation would be the ability that we have to do those things and the time in which we have to do those things. And then if that's the case, then the ground on which that foundation rests is maybe just the simple fact that we're alive. Because when that changes, when, when we die, then no matter what we've built, it starts to come crumbling down. Well, all of the hopes and all of the dreams that these women had placed in Jesus had done just that. They had come crashing to the ground as Jesus' own body collapsed 
and was placed into a tomb. These women came to that very same tomb, the same tomb where those big, strong soldiers had become like corpses, only when they arrived at the tomb, they received some incredible news. There was an angel there who said this to them. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. It's very important to notice exactly what the angel said. If the angel had simply said that Jesus was somehow still alive, that what had happened on Good Friday was just a close call, that somehow Jesus had narrowly escaped death. If the message was just that Jesus was still alive, then sure those women, those women would have been happy. But then their hopes and their dreams that they placed in Jesus would have been just as fragile as they were before. But because the angel said that Jesus had been crucified, that he had died and that now he was risen from the dead, Because the powerful forces of death itself had shaken the Son of God and brought him down to the ground because Jesus was standing once again three days later. Well then, that meant that Jesus was indestructible. And it meant that the hope that Jesus delivers is also indestructible. That fact was only further confirmed to those women as they came back into the city and, and this time they met Jesus himself. And as they encountered Jesus, he said this to them. He said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So these women saw with their own eyes and they heard with their own ears what could truly be described as indestructible. And as soon as they found it, It's no wonder that they did what they did. Matthew tells us, They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. As soon as they realized they had found something indestructible, as soon as they realized they had found something that was strong enough to serve as the basis for their hope, they held on. You see, Easter doesn't just reveal what is fragile in our lives. Easter Easter also reveals what is truly indestructible. Easter does not hand us something that looks nice on the outside but has never really been tested. Easter doesn't hand us something that sure looks secure but has never really been shaken or rattled. No, Easter hands us a Savior who has been assaulted by the seismic forces of death itself, but a Savior who still stands. Not just a Savior who is still alive, but a Savior who has risen from the dead. Which means that Easter gives us a Savior who is indestructible and a hope that is indestructible. These women heard all about that hope in the words that they heard from the angel and in the words that they heard from Jesus. First of all, the angel had said to them that Jesus had risen just as he said. In other words, it's not just that these things happened. It's not just that Jesus did them. Jesus did them just as he had promised he would. Which means that as we think about our lives and as we think about our futures, as we realize that God hasn't given us all the details, that he hasn't spelled out every last thing, he certainly hasn't promised us that nothing bad is ever going to happen in our lives, it does mean that where God has spoken, where God has given us his word, where Jesus has promised us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, where he has promised us that he will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom, 
that word is indestructible. That word gives us something to hold on to. These women also heard that as Jesus referred to his disciples, he called them his brothers. These disciples that a couple days prior had all abandoned Jesus. These disciples that included Peter, who a couple days prior had denied that he even knew Jesus, Jesus refers to them as brothers. So as you think about maybe where you stand with God, as you think about the fact that so often fear and worry have filled your heart, as you think about the lack of conviction that you have sometimes displayed in your life, and as you wonder, as a result of that, where you might stand with God, remember Jesus' designation. Jesus calls you his brother and his sister. Jesus says to you that you have the very same status with God that he has because of the work that he has done. When God looks at you, he sees you as a father does. He sees you as his dearly loved child. And that status, that verdict that God has given about you is indestructible. That gives you something to hold on to. Finally, that that same designation also says a lot about the people that we surround ourselves with in our lives. It says a lot about our friends and our family members. As you think about those loved ones and as you realize, especially at a time like this, that at a moment's notice, they can be taken away from you. That designation that Jesus gives gives you something to hold on to. It reminds you that that status you have as Jesus' brother not only says something about your relationship with God, but it also says something about your relationship with others. That you are siblings with all those who have faith in Christ. That you have with them a bond that is far thicker than blood and far deeper than your DNA. You have a bond with them that cannot be severed by death. Not entirely and certainly not eternally. That relationship is indestructible and it too gives you something to hold on to. You know, the more I think about it, the more I realize that catastrophes aren't just good for clarifying things. Catastrophes can actually be harnessed and used for good. I'm sure over the course of the past several weeks, you've heard the expression that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's not exactly what I'm talking about. But it is very possible to take the very same power that is at work in a catastrophe and harness it for good. I mean, think about it. The very same power at work in a flood is power that we can harness in a a pressure washer to use to to separate the grime and the dirt and the corrosion and the mold from whatever surface we're trying to clean. The very same power that is at work in a fire can be harnessed in a kiln. It can be used to take metal and, and purify whatever is dross and leave only what is pure and unalloyed. And when it comes to the power of an earthquake... Well, I couldn't really think of of an example of people harnessing the power of the earth shaking and using it for good. There might be an example that exists, but, but maybe it's a little bit harder to think of because that power is a little bit bigger than all of us. Of course, that power is not bigger than our God. In fact, on Easter, God used that power. God harnessed that power. He harnessed the seismic power of death itself and he used it to destroy death. He used the power of death against itself. He used the power of death to deliver to us a Savior who is truly indestructible and along with him a hope that is truly indestructible. 
And so a time of catastrophe is not a time when it is actually harder to find hope. In fact, it's much, much easier. All you have to do is look around and even as everything else falls, find that one thing that still stands. And when you find it, hold on and never let go. Amen. 